If you brought your Bible, which if you didn't, you should have. Next time, bring your Bible. And let's go to Jeremiah again. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. 29 11 of Jeremiah says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. Does God ever think about you? Yeah. You're before him all the time. We're before him all the time. And when he thinks about you, what does he think? You know, Psalm 115 talks about the Lord's been mindful of us. Had us on his mind. And the very next thing talks about he's going to increase us more and more. Us and our children. So when he thinks about you, what has he got on his mind? More. More. <laughs> I've had people look at me and say, well, Brother Keith, I just feel like there's more. Uh-huh. You know why you feel that way? Because <laughs> there's more. There is. In God, there's always more. Uh, another translation says it like this. The... Uh, NIV says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The New Living says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. How many believe that disaster is not the plan of God for any of his children's lives? You believe that? If you believe this verse, you have to believe it. The NIV had said plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So it's not God's plan for us to be harmed. Is it? The uh, complete English Bible says, I will bless you with a future filled with hope. A future of success, not of suffering. Are you glad to know the plan of God for you is not suffering? It's not suffering. It's success. Now, I know a lot of people, they don't like this positive type preaching. (laughs) They didn't grow up with it. They're not used to it. It's shocking to their system. But you know, it's been in the Bible the whole time. (laughs) God is a good God. He's a good God. He does good things. And His will for you and His plan for you is good, 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 good. The uh, English Standard Version says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Let's go over that again briefly. What kind of plan does God have for you? A good plan, plan of peace, plan to prosper you, plan for good, plan of success, plan of wholeness. That's his plan for you. That's his plan for me. So why should we dread tomorrow? We should look forward to tomorrow. Shouldn't we? If we really believed all that, we would be excited. Excited. But you know, a lot of Christians are not excited, are they? They're not. They're sad. They're not having fun. 
They're not. They're not enjoying life. A lot of preachers are not enjoying life. Isn't it true? You know, everything produces after its own kind. Do you know that? <laughs> it's the truth. Children take after their parents. I know people don't like it, but yeah. <laughs> I've had people look at me and go, where did they learn that? You know, <laughs> Wonder. <laughs> the only way not to reproduce something in yourself is to get it out of you. It is impossible to hide it from others and not reproduce it. You can do your best to keep it under wraps and hide it. Make sure that your kids don't ever see it or your people that's under you never see it. And you look up one day and they'll be doing it. And you'll go, huh? What? Because spiritual law is inescapable. Everything produces after its own kind. And it's the same with the church is a family. The pastors are the mom and daddy, and you got older children that's been born again for a while, and you got younger children, and you got babies that just got saved last week. It's a family. And uh, the people that sit under a ministry for a length of time, they will take on the characteristics of that ministry, good or bad. So it's very important what you sit under and what you listen to and who you're connected to. Supremely important. Because everything produces and reproduces after its own kind. Many people are pessimistic. I'm talking about Christians now. And uh, you hear them talk about their problems. And that's mostly what they're focused on. And their needs. And what's wrong with the church. And what's wrong with the people in their church. And what's wrong. And... uh, I don't care how good things are in your life, you can always find something to gripe about if you look for it. Your life could be amazing. You could have all kind of wonderful things going on in your life, and you can ignore all of that and focus on one or two or three things that's not right or not quite right, and just talk about that and have no joy and have no peace and just stay upset all the time. If you do, you're foolish. And if you do, you're refusing to walk by faith. And refusing to do what the Lord told you to do. By the same token, you can have problems all around you. And find something to be thankful for. Right? You can have all kind of stuff going wrong in your life. And you can just look past all of it and find something to shout about. And if you'll do that, that is the spirit of faith. Which is the spirit of victory. And you will triumph again and again and again. The Lord will bring you out. You'll come through. So what kind of plan does God have for you? Help me out. Help me out. Plan of peace. Good plan. Plan of prosperity. Plan of success. Plan for wholeness. The future God has planned for you, is it better or worse than what you've imagined? That's a little weak. What about everybody else? The plan that God has planned for you, is it better are not quite as good as what you what you can imagine. Well, Ephesians 3.20. What does it say? Now unto him that is able to do almost. Huh? Pretty close. <laughs> Up to 90% of what you've asked or thought. 
you'll find that the enemy, sly and crafty like he is, if he can't get you to quit believing God for something, I mean, if he can, he'll try to wear you down, confuse you, whatever, so that you just give up. You quit. You quit believing for it. You quit expecting it to happen. If he can't get you to do that and he sees you're not going to quit, <laughs> then he has another fallback position. And that is try to get you to settle for less. Try to slip in a substitute on you. And how can I identify this substitute? It's less. I said it's less. It's not quite. If it's not quite, it's not right. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because when it's God, read that verse for me. When it's God, tell me what he's able to do. Exceeding abundantly above all that you asked or thought, according to the power that's working in you. So the Lord never, ever has told you or me or any of us, you know, I'm sorry. This is the best I could do right now. You just need to be happy with this. <laughs> this was the best I could find on short notice. <laughs> now you're laughing, but I'm telling you, I don't know whether you've noticed it or identified it or not. But if you've been walking with the Lord and believing for things any length of time, this has come to you. You know, and the thing is, your flesh wants it. So much that if it's even close to it, you're tempted to grab it. You're tempted to take it because it's the closest to it you've ever been. But listen to me, friend. If it's not quite, it doesn't quite satisfy your heart. Don't settle for less. Don't. Don't. Because the God you serve is well able. Not to do almost what you're believing for. To exceed what you're believing for. You'll have to have patience. You'll have to put your flesh under And you'll have to pass up the substitutes. But when the thing the Lord does comes into your life, you'll go, oh, yeah, 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 glory to God. This is better than I would have thought. Oh, this is it. This is it. This is it. It's exceeding abundantly. Exceeding abundantly. He said, though, that it works. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above. Let me read the Amplified. By and in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, he's able to carry out his purpose and to do super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. That's good. (laughs) And how's the Lord able to do it? According to the power that works in us. The basic English Bible says, through the power that's working in us. The Weast says, in the measure of the power that is operative in us. Now, we've been focusing on that part. A lot of people have just shouted about he's able to do exceeding abundantly above what we ask or think. Don't stop there. He does it tied to the power that works in us. What kind of power? We read over in Romans 15 that uh, God... The God of hope is able to cause us to abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And this power of hope and the power of the Holy Ghost working in you is tied to God being able to do things 
exceeding your thinking or ability to ask. Even though you might not be able to wrap your head around it, you can sense it and ask for it by faith. And you'll know it in your spirit when it comes. The thing that God does in your life will completely satisfy your heart. And it will exceed your thoughts. Now look with me in uh, Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 and 15. What did the Lord say? See, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. Look at the 19th verse. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Who's going to choose? You choose life that both you and your seed may live. Is it true that God has given us the choice? We have the choice. So if somebody's experiencing life, apparently they chose it. If somebody's experiencing death, it's not their fault. (laughs) No. Apparently they chose it. I know people don't like this, but it is the truth. Isn't it? And people say, well, I didn't choose this. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. How do you choose life or death? By choosing what you hear, whether you receive it or whether you don't. By choosing what you think on. By choosing what you believe. By choosing what you say. And by choosing what you act on. You choose life or death. Now, I'd like to... Imagine that everybody in the place tonight and everybody watching by the internet will believe the words tonight and receive them and shout and do them. But that might be a little too optimistic. Because in virtually every service that you go around or be in, uh, there are folk that will not hear what was said. And you you won't necessarily see it. But they'll just sit there and in their mind think, I don't accept that. And in doing so, they made a choice. Are y'all with me, friends? They made a choice. And they may not see where that choice is taking them, but they chose life or death. Oh, friends, are y'all with me? This is the absolute truth for everybody on the planet. You see somebody experiencing some of the goodness of God and the life of God, I assure you, they chose it. They chose to hear it. They chose to believe it. They chose to think on it. They chose to say it. They chose to do it. And the people of God, people that are born again, children of God, experiencing year after year of depression and defeat and failure and death, they chose it. You can't tell me that God did not send the word of liberty to them. Did you hear me now? I will not accept it. I know God is a good God. And He loves His kids. And He is faithful 
to his kids. And he will send you and me the word we need in season. Are you listening? He'll give us the understanding. But it's up to us whether we will hear it. How many of you can hear and not hear? Whether we choose to accept it or believe it, think it, say it, and do it. Now, we've been camping on this, on these thoughts, oh my, particularly thoughts and words. There are two visions available to you and I. We're spirit beings. Spirit beings operate off of vision. It's one of the reasons TV is so popular. It appeals to our nature. We are by nature beings that see. And it's not just for it's been reduced many times to entertainment. Oh, but it's not. We are designed to become what we behold. We're designed by God to become what we behold and not be limited to what we can see with our physical eyes, but we can close our eyes and see things. Are you with me now? We can close our eyes and not have any physical stimuli and see whole visions. I'm not talking about falling into a trance. I'm not talking about being caught up in glory. I'm talking about the ability every spirit has. What do words, what are words? They're just letters strung together. And if you don't know the language, they don't mean a thing to you. And even through the Decade to decade and century to century, in the same language, the word means something different. So it's just words are containers that produce pictures. D-O-G means nothing if you don't know the English language. But to you, I start talking about dog, you start seeing tail and ears and barking and, and even the word hello. I can put all kinds of stuff in that word. Hello. Hello. I'm putting totally different spiritual quantity. And what happens is when we hear the words, it's painting a picture. It's giving us a vision. It's giving us an image. And so the enemy is continually trying to put a vision in us. A bad one. A vision of failure. A vision of defeat. A vision of insignificance. A vision of condemnation, hopelessness. And if you let it get in you, it'll ruin your life. You'll become pessimistic, you'll become unthankful, and you'll go down, down, down. But God has a vision. I said God has a vision. His vision is in these words. His vision is by His Holy Spirit. He ministers it to us through our churches and through our ministry gifts and through us reading the Bible and through us praying in tongues and waiting on Him and getting quiet. And I want you to know every time He begins to show you and talk to you, it's good. It's a good vision. 
It's a vision of success. We've already read about it. It's a vision of peace. It's a vision of prosperity. It's a vision of victory. It's a vision of fruitfulness and increase. And oh, here's the exciting thing. If you can see it, you can be it. Huh? If you can see it, you can have it. If you can see it, you can do it. Beholding it gets in you and alters you and changes you into what you're looking at. Oh, glory to God. Now, this is not something I stood around and thought up last night. <laughs> Go to Second uh, Corinthians, third chapter. The fifth chapter had said we walk by faith, not by sight. The fourth chapter said, well, we look not at those things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen, because the things that are seen are temporal, temporary, subject to change. But the things that are not seen are eternal. But look what preceded those statements. 2 Corinthians 3 and 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. He gives a vision of truth. Truth makes free. But we all with open face. Beholding as in a glass or mirror. The glory of the Lord. What happens as we behold? The perfect law of liberty. Looking into the mirror and the glory of the word. We are changed. Into the same, what same image? What same image? The one we're looking at. The one we're beholding. We're changed into that same image. Now it doesn't happen all completely overnight. It happens progressively. From glory to glory. And it happens by the Spirit of the Lord. So does it matter what we think on? Remember the Bible said Romans 8, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Does it matter what you think on? How much does it matter? Life and death, what you think on. Most Christians don't believe that. They just don't. If you, if you realize a thought came into your mind and you stopped and go, this could kill me. This could ruin my life, this thought right here. If you really understood that, would you just meditate on it for the next three years? And yet people are doing it. They're like, well, you know, thoughts come through my mind. All kind of stuff comes through my mind. People act like, I can't help it. It's just, you know, well, whose mind is it? Who's at the wheel? I was preaching along this line one time and and a guy came, he said, Brother Keith, I know what it is. I know what. He said, every mind needs a bouncer at the door. <laughs> Apparently he'd spent a lot of time in clubs. <laughs> every mind needs a bouncer. Well, he's right. Yeah. Isn't he? And isn't that what the scripture's talking about? Though the weapons of our warfare are mighty, they're through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Taking every thought captive. You need to meet every thought at the door. Don't you? Every thought. Somebody say every thought. I'm quoting scripture, am I not? Every thought. Taking into captivity every thought to the obedience. 
Of course, every thought, you need to meet at the door and go, whoa, wait up, wait up. Where did you come from, thought? Hmm? Are you in line with the plan of God? Are you in line with the vision of life from God for me? And if not, no, you can't come in. No, I'll refuse to think on you. No. Friend, most Christians are terribly undisciplined in their mind. They just sit around. All the devil's got to do is bring stuff to their mind. And they'll just think it for days. And act helpless about it. We must discipline ourselves to only think what the Lord has given us to think. Meet every thought at the door. Oh friend, if you'll do this, you will be so safe. You will be so protected. Temptations that are destroying other people will never even get started in you. Because you just won't think about it. Won't even start thinking about it. Things that are undermining and destroying people's lives, it won't even affect you. It'll never get a hold in you because you refuse. You will not think about it. And the devil can't make you think about it. He can't. He can't. Now, he can bring it to your mind a thousand times a day, but he can't make you think. What If he brings it a thousand times a day, you cast it down a thousand and one. That's all you do. You never stop rejecting it. You never stop casting it down. If it was wrong a thousand times ago, it's still wrong. So these two visions are competing for your mind. And if you think on something and dwell on something out of the abundance of the heart, if you meditate on it long enough, it'll get down in you. It's like chewing food. If you chew food long enough, what are you going to do? You're going to swallow it. Now it's in you. If you think on something long, that's what meditation is like. If you think on something long enough, you're going to swallow it spiritually and it's going to get in you. And if you get full of it, it's going to come out of your mouth. And when you believe something in your heart and you say it with your mouth, it's going to come to pass in your life. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually it's going to come to pass. Because isn't it true that just like to be carnally minded is death and spiritually minded life and peace, that also death and life is in the power of the tongue. Is it true? Should we think on anything that has to do with defeat? Failure. I want us to look at some examples of this so we identify it. Because the enemy, uh, we're not ignorant of his devices. Even though he's subtle, he's crafty, I'm excited already. Some of the stuff we're about to look at the next few minutes is not necessarily make you jump, run around the chair stuff. But if you get it, it'll help you to identify, you'll be able to see him coming a way off. Anybody interested in this or not? You'll be able to, instead of just yielding and thinking on the junk and realizing later, oh man, I gotta quit that, you'll see it coming. And to be forewarned is to be prepared and, and forearmed and, and you can shut it down before it ever gets started. You interested in that tonight? Go with me then to, uh, Genesis 42. Two visions. One's a vision of victory, vision of the plan of God that is good, peaceful, prosperity, success, wholeness. The other one is a, a vision of misery, failure, darkness, hopelessness. Do you ever have to let that in you? Or could you have the helmet of the hope of salvation on all the time and it not be able to get to you, not be able to get in you? 
Now let me talk about the effect of these two visions and we're going to begin to identify things from there. The effect of the vision of God is that you will be excited and involved. Or you could say excited and occupied. The vision of the enemy of death, you will be bitter and bored. I said bitter and bored. So without going further, if somebody's bitter and bored, what do we know? The wrong vision. Absolutely. They've been thinking on the wrong thing. They've been listening to the wrong thing. They've been believing the wrong thing. They've been talking the wrong thing. They've lost their joy. They've lost their peace. They've no excitement. No fruitfulness. Bitter and bored. Somebody say, not for me. Not for me. me. You know, let's just take boredom. Should any child of God be bored? If you are bored... There's something you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing, that you have chosen not to do. (laughs) That's just a fact. (laughs) If the vision of God is in you and working in you and you're pursuing it, you will be excited and you will be occupied and involved. Because the plan of God is fruitfulness. The plan of God is work. Isn't it? If you're doing the plan of God, you're a working. You're a buzzing. You're a busy. And you're getting something done. You're fruitful. So that makes you feel good. Makes you satisfied. You're excited. You're occupied. You're experiencing peace and satisfaction. If you've got the other vision, what's the point? What good will it do? What's the use? Look in uh, Genesis and 43. You remember uh, Joseph's brothers were going to kill him and his brother talked him out of it. and They decided just to sell him and take some animal blood and put on his clothes and tell their daddy he died. <laughs> I guess that was the original uh, do something to him and tell the person they died. And uh, oh it broke his daddy's heart. I mean he was never the same. And then when he saw his brothers he told them to bring his younger brother. Jacob said in Genesis 42:36, it's the NIV 42:36, their father Jacob said to them, "You've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. He was in jail. And now You want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. What do you have a vision of? What do you have a vision of? Everything is against me. Do you hear that? I don't want you to just hear the words. I want you to hear the spirit of it. I want you to identify it. I want you to tag it as absolute contraband for you. If you smell or have a hint or have a feel of any of this, you're going to shut it down and right now. Because yeah. it's a vision from the pit. Yeah. And it's dangerous. 
The enemy has what I call the pile-up technique. (laughs) This is wrong, and this is wrong, and that is wrong. And when you start down that road, you got an imp that will come and sit on your shoulder. And you can think of about 10 things, but he'll tell you another 33 to go with it. And what is the purpose? To pile up on you until you despair, until you feel hopeless. What's the point? Maybe I could overcome this one or this one or this one, but I hadn't even thinking about these 14 and these 23, and it's just all too much. I can't take it anymore. No child of God should ever say such a thing. That should never come out of the mouth of any child of God. That wasn't strong enough, guys. Well, Brother Keith, sometimes you have a bad day. You're not supposed to have any bad days. No. Greater. 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 Is he that is in you. Than he that is in the world. He always causes us to try. Not supposed to be win a few, lose a few, good days, bad days. No, 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 no. Just win, 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 win. Have to stand a little bit, but win, win, win. Don't know what's going on. Got little sideways there, but stand, and then another, oh, got to stand some more, and then, okay, but don't give up, stand, and win, win, win. (laughs) Well, yes, but brother, God teaches us through our failures, and and through our, where's your scripture? Where's your verses? That's dangerous stuff. I said, that's dangerous stuff. Because it feeds that victim mentality, that hopelessness, which is that wrong vision of death. Can you hear what he said? Let me read it to you. He said, Joseph is gone. Simeon's locked up. You're going to take my baby Benjamin? (laughs) Can you see the technique? That... That's bad enough, but then you got that. And those two are just awful, but then you got that. And what's the effect? Just, oh, everything's against, everything's against me. What's he doing? He's waving a flag. And he's waving the white flag. Is he choosing death? Yeah, he chose it. How did he choose it? By choosing what he was listening to. Choosing what he was thinking on. Choosing what he's saying. Oh, can you see this, friend? Now, I want you to think about this, though, now. Was Joseph dead? No. No. Was Simeon's life over? No. No. Was he going to lose Benjamin? No. No. Did God have a plan? Yes. (laughs) Somebody got it. Did God have a plan? Yes. Yes. Was it a good plan? It was a wonderful plan. Does Jacob feel like he's dying? Dying. His life is over. He's got nothing to live for. 
And for what? Why is he going through all this? Why is he going through all this? Joseph is not dead. Simeon is not lost. Benjamin's not going to be lost. Why is he going through this? What good came out of him going through this? He was tormented. He was in misery. Month after month and year after year for nothing. Nothing. Because God had a plan. (laughs) I about preached myself happy already. God. Somebody help me. Now God. God had a plan. Did he have a plan? Listen. Go over to the 45th chapter. 45th chapter. 45 and 5. When uh, all the brothers came there, they're scared out of their boots and they don't know what in the world they're going to do. And Joseph revealed himself to them. And the plan begins to unfold. How many know you don't always see the plan of God? Normally you don't see where the plan of God is coming from and, and where it's going. And a lot of times you just, you can't, you don't have a clue. But can you trust God that the plan is on? The plan is working. Can you trust him? Come on, can you? When it looks bleak, when it looks like it's already lost and it's already gone, can you stand up and say, I don't care, I don't believe that. No, God's got a plan. God's got a good, good plan. And I'm going to keep the helmet of the hope of salvation right off. I am not letting those thoughts of defeat and failure in me. I refuse to. Some way, somehow, God is going to turn this thing around and I'm coming out and he's going to bring some good out of this because everything has to work together for good. Yes! Yes! Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Whoo! <laughs> oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Oh. Hey. <laughs> Saints. Something is happening in us this week. Something is happening. The devil's not going to be able to do anything with us. He's not. Yeah. (laughs) Well, sit down if you can. Now let's just stop right there. Why? Why are you carrying on like that? Why are you shouting like that? God's got a plan. plan. (laughs) Now what does that do to you? It excites you. Doesn't it? If you're not excited. You don't believe it. You're not seeing that. You're looking at something else. Listen. 45th chapter, 5th verse, when he revealed himself to his brethren. How many know Joseph is a type of Jesus? He said, I'm I'm reading the NIV. He said, now, 
Verse 5. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead for you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. Somebody say God had a plan. Now let's back up. What's his daddy doing all these years? What's his daddy doing? Broken hearted. Grieved. You know why? He looked at some bloodstains. And some animal skins. Somebody say lying symptoms. Say it again. Lying symptoms. Say it again. Lying. Lying symptoms. He could have been positive. Couldn't he? He could have been a faith man. He could have said, that ain't Joseph. That doesn't prove anything. Even if he's injured, that don't mean he's dead. I hadn't seen him dead. (laughs) But he was too quick to look at it and go, oh, that's him. Oh, no. Oh, he's dead. That's it. And he grieved for years. And he was, you can tell when they talked to him about taking Benjamin, he just, he's a broken shell of a man. Everything is against me. And it was a lie. God was working to preserve his family. Oh, come on. For generations to come, God was being faithful. How many know he could have by faith? All those years have said, I don't know all this, and I don't understand all this, but Lord, I trust you. You're a good God, and I just believe that some way, some way you are working things out for your, my good and for your glory. Somebody say he's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. Can you be excited about it even when you don't know the details? Can you stay up and keep victory? Even when, from what you can see, it looks like it's too late. It looks like there's no way. Beware of this talk. Beware of this thought. Beware of this feeling. It's no use. How many remember when uh, the ruler of the synagogue wanted Jesus to come and heal his daughter? You remember that? And on the way there, they came and they said, uh, what'd they say? Don't trouble the master any further. One translation says, it's no use. It's no use. And you suppose he was tempted to break down? Because he knew they wouldn't come and just lie to him and tell him that his little girl was dead. These are his own people. He knows. I mean, what kind of feelings gripped him? What kind of thing hit him that his baby girl is dead? It hit him. It hit him like a ton of bricks. Oh, but those eyes of Jesus... Oh, come on. Looked right into his. (laughs) And tell me what the master said. Come on, tell me. Fear not. Fear not. Believe only. And he bit his lip. (laughs) And kept tagging along behind Jesus. How many know when it looks like it's too late? That doesn't mean it's too late. When it looks like there's no way, that doesn't mean there's no way. He saw a miracle. He saw his little girl raised from the dead and healed. And we serve the same Jesus tonight. Same Jesus. 
How many understand, though, that when they came and they brought that report, don't you know the enemy was right there with his vision? Hmm? Was it trying to get in that man? Oh, yeah, it was. What? And you can tell. I've seen it before. This man is at this place of choosing life and death. I mean, they shouted when the girl was raised from the dead, but that's the fruit of what happened right here. Oh, can you see this? That would have never happened if the right thing hadn't happened here. When they're telling him she's dead, there's no use. I I know how the enemy works. He brought to that man feelings of resentment. Because you know one reason why they're late? Jesus let this woman give this long-winded testimony. Is that right? Woman with the issue of blood. She told him all the truth. And what she did. She went on and on. And what do you think this man is doing while she's doing all that? He thinks, okay, she's winding up. She's winding up. And she starts on, and then uh, the 11th year ago. And then 10 years ago. And he's like, oh, woman, come on. Now listen, I know how the enemy works. He would have brought to him resentment and anger and bitterness. Did you hear me? Now, haven't we already talked about the fruit of that wrong vision? It's bitterness. When his boys got back home to Jacob, after Joseph revealed himself to him, verse 26 of that same 45th chapter, they came and they had all these wagons full of stuff. You remember that? Loads and loads of blessings and prosperity. They said, Joseph is yet alive. He's governor over all the land of Egypt. Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Years of yielding to that will make you an unbeliever. He wouldn't even believe it. They had to convince him. They told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them. And when he saw the wagons. <laughs> that's a prosperity message. When he saw the wagons. <laughs> some people ain't much interested till they see the wagons. <laughs> but when he saw the wagons. I mean, understand though, he's walking by sight, isn't he? When he saw something. Then the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Thank God he had a little joy and had a little peace. You know, when he came before Pharaoh later on, and, uh, you know, he just found out his boy's alive. He just found out he and his family are not going to starve in this famine. He just found out they're going to be well taken care of throughout this whole deal. And the Pharaoh asked him about his age. He says, oh, I hadn't lived very long. And my days, he had lived a long time. And my days have been evil. And It's sad. But that's what sorrowing for years will do to you. It'll make you bitter. It'll make you old before your time. And it will rob you of the blessings of God. And cause you to forfeit the plan of God. This is a very serious thing. Did you hear that phrase? Everything's against me. It's no use. What point? 
Notice with me, you're there in Genesis. Look in, uh, what is it? This is in a couple of different places. Uh, 1 Kings 19. I want to show you this in a couple of more. There's some really significant things that I want us to get to tonight. Uh, this, this is already. But these other, that the enemy, I'm excited because it's taking the, the wrappers off of him. <laughs> Showing us how he works. And how he uh, deceives and works and connives and, and his devices. And we're not ignorant of his devices. 1 Kings uh, 19. This is the story of uh, the man of God, the prophet, and how he stood so uh, so bold and uh, faced down Jezebel's prophets of Baal, and I'm called fire down, and man, they had a they had a day. And then Jezebel sent word to him that she's going to kill him for doing this to all her prophets, and he went on to run. Remember that he ran. And in 1 Kings 19 and 14, he's out in a remote place talking to the Lord. And he said, uh, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they've slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they're trying to find me to kill me. I'm the last one. <laughs> Did you hear that phrase? <laughs> I'm the last one. Last of my kind. Everybody else going to hell. <laughs> Romans 11 Verse 3 in the New Testament quotes him. And he says, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've digged down your altars. And I am left alone. And they're looking for me. I'm the last one. Was it true? I said, was it true? Was he the last ten? Was he in the last hundred? Was he in the last thousand? Was he in the last five thousand? No. The Lord told him, I got 7,000. Hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. But what has he become convinced of? (laughs) All alone. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody wants to work for God anymore. Nobody wants to do the work of God. I've poured my life out. I've done everything I know to do. Nobody cares. So what's the use? What is this? Somebody has taken their helmet off. (laughs) And their mind has been pierced. With a thought and an imagination that is a lie. But if you buy into it, if you believe it, what will happen to you? You'll run. 
What did he do? Ran and hid. Man, there are Christians all over the place running and hiding. Aren't they? Did you know it or not? There are Christians all over this country, all over this world. They ought to be in church. There's folk ought to be in this meeting tonight. People ought to be in your churches and in your meetings, and they're not. You know why? They let that get in them. I'm the last one. I'm the only one that cared. So what was the point of going on? That is a lie. I said, that is a lie. There's a lot of good people that love God. There's a lot of good people serving the Lord. Don't you believe these lies? Well, a bunch I found didn't want to. We'll find you another bunch. Because <laughs> they're around. I said they're around. There's a bunch of them right here. Well, the world's just falling apart. Nobody cares anymore. Don't you let something like that come into your mind, much less come out of your mouth. How many know half the church is talking this stuff, aren't they? Well, you know, all the young folks don't want to come to church and, and nobody cares anymore. You can't get anybody to serve God and we can't get anybody to work around the church. And I've had people ask me, so man, y'all got so much good help around. You know one reason we got so much good help? I would never say such a thing. I would never say we don't have good help. Never. I mean, it's like cussing to me. Did you hear me? And yet you got pastors everywhere going, well, I can't get my people to do this. And I can't get my people to do that. How long you been saying that? And friend, there is a lot of ugly, ugly Holier-than-thou pride in this talk. What are you saying? Everybody needs to be like me. I'm so consecrated. I'm so dedicated. And I can't find anybody that's as consecrated as me. I can't find anybody that loves God and wants to work and serve God as much as me. Well, I better not say that. That is a prideful, holier-than-thou thing to say. Because there's a bunch of us love God at least as much as you do. All over this planet. Is that right? And there are people that are laying down their life by the millions. That, that was weak. I said by the millions. All over this planet. There are people love God with all their heart. They're sowing of their time, of their money. They're working tirelessly. Do you believe it? Now there's millions and millions that don't. But we're not negative. We're not pessimistic. We're not going to cry over the 99 that left lost. We're going to shout over the one that came back. That's the spirit of faith. (laughs) I'm the only one. By myself, trying to keep this thing going. I'm the only one in the family who will serve God. My husband's a heathen. My kids are heathen. Grandkids are heathen. My sisters are heathens. I'm the only one. No, honey, you think you're something more than you are. 
You're demeaning and despising everybody else. And you're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And you're believing a lie. How can you tell you believe in a lie? Bitter. Can you hear that bitterness? Bitter. Bitter and what else? Bored. They just can't seem to find the right thing to fit into. They just keep looking and trying to find the right church. But they found that church seemed pretty good at first, but then they had hypocrites in it. So then they tried another one, and they tried another one, and they tried another one. But they can't find one that is their caliber of Christian. I'm the only one. Nobody cares but me. The Lord had to correct him, didn't he? Well, he's out there whining, running, hiding. Lord, I'm the only one. I'm the only one, and they're about to kill me. You better do something. God said, you're not the only one. I got 7,000 right here. I imagine he about fell off his chair. What? 7,000? And how many believe it's just that way with us today? If we think there's not very many around, there are a thousand times that. That we are not aware of. And we need to quit thinking like, don't let that in. Somebody say, don't let it in. Are you the only one? No, you the only one that cares? No, you the only one that wants to serve God? No, no. You just serve God with all your heart. You lead. You do what the Lord tells you to do. And if somebody don't want to do it, you say, next. Do you want to? No. Okay. Do you want to? Next. You keep on, you'll find somebody that does. Right? And then you'll find some other somebodies and you'll find some other somebodies and you'll get you a place and you'll get you a bunch that'll believe God and won't let the devil hold them back. Are you listening to me? And it'll inspire others and it'll grow and it'll increase because this is contagious. What you and I are doing, this is contagious. Everybody wants to be like this. They want to be, woo, 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 glory to God. Everybody wants to be like this. And we're not even using any drugs. None. This is what the whole world's looking for. (laughs) Go to uh, Genesis 25, if you'd go back there, and then find Hebrews 12. Genesis 25, Hebrews 12. Let's look first in Hebrews. Hebrews 12 and 15. 12 and 15 tells us, Looking diligently, lest any man, what? Fail of the grace of God. Now, friend, this is a very sobering thing to say and think. But you can forfeit the grace and plan of God for your life. You or I, any of us, you can forfeit it because you have a free will. And it's up to us whether we choose death or life. If you choose death, you will forfeit God's grace and his plan for your life. You will fail. Of the grace of God. Read that very next phrase. Lest what? 
lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, friend, bitterness is not okay in any level, any degree, any shape, any form, any fashion. I'm telling you, if you let yourself get bitter, I don't care what you think or what somebody actually did do to you or didn't do for you or let you down or did against you. Don't let that bitterness get in you or elsewise you will be forfeiting God's grace and plan for your life. You will be failing of the grace of God. He goes on to describe an individual who did it. Lest there be, next verse, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Did he forfeit his birthright? Did he forfeit his place, his blessing, his grace? Yes. It's sad. I said it's sad. And why did it mention him? Because he was talking about failing of the grace of God and bitterness. He was a bitter man. Go back to Genesis if you're holding your place in the 25th chapter. We'll see and hear his bitterness. Have you ever talked to a child of God who was bitter? Is it okay? Is it okay to yield to bitterness a little while because we all have bad times and low times? No, friend, I'm telling you, you can forfeit the amazing, wonderful plan of God for your life by sinking into bitterness. The Bible, you know, tells us that Jacob had cooked this stew and Esau was a hunter and he didn't get anything hunting and he came back in and he was hungry and he said, give me some of that stew. And Genesis twenty five thirty two, Genesis twenty five thirty two, Esau said, Behold, look, I'm at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? See, we're identifying the spirit of this, aren't we? Are you hearing this? What have we heard already? What good is it? What's the use? I'm the only one. Nobody cares. What good will it do? See, that's how people wind up living in a cardboard box. Exactly how. I mean, there's people that were on the 30th floor in the president's office a few years ago that's living in a cardboard box. And it's not because some things, certain things happened to them. They just got disillusioned and they got hopeless and they thought well what's the use I mean I gave 20 years of my life to this company and they threw me out like I was trash and you work hard and you make all this money and then everybody you know my ex-wife wants it and brother wants it and the government wants it and this one wants it why work so hard why do all this they're going to take it away from you anyway are you listening friends so why get up and go to work Why bother? Why? What's the point? 
What has happened to them? Tell me what has happened to them. There are fiery darts of the devil have pierced. They had no protection. So it came right into them. And they are focusing on a vision of darkness. And they are thinking it. And they are saying it. And they are believing it. And they are acting on it. And while they may not be ready to acknowledge it, they chose death. And there's other people that have been knocked down and knocked down and knocked down and knocked down. And you know what do they do? They get back up and they get back up and they went back and up 93 times and they got back up the 94th time and said, well, glad I got all that behind me. This time is it. This time, this time. Oh, come on. It'll work even among people that are not fully serving God. It's a spiritual law and principle. Are you understand? If you just won't let that junk get in and you get up and you say, I don't care. I don't care. I see victory. I see success. I can see it. I can smell it. I can feel it. I can taste it. There it is. And here I come. (laughs) A man like that, a woman like that will get there. Spiritual laws are set in motion. Oh, friend, but it's dangerous stuff when you plop down and go, what's the point? What's the point in talking to them? I've told them a thousand times. What's the point? That's the devil talking. That's the devil feeding that to your head. It's darkness. All you got to do is look at what it does to you. You sit there and think about that for two hours. You will feel so weak you can hardly get out of the chair. Why? Because to be carnally minded is death. These things are literally sapping the life out of you. If you had any smarts, you'd jump up out the chair. (laughs) You'd say, get away, get away. I cannot think on that. I refuse. Where's my helmet? (laughs) Where's my helmet? But the helmet of the hope, 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 glorious expectation of salvation. (laughs) Esau said, what profit shall this birthright do to me? Another translation says, what good? What good? And so Jacob gave Esau the bread. Well, he said, well, so, okay, so you're going to sell it to me. He said, sure, whatever. Just give me that. What good is this thing going to do me? And the Bible says he despised his birthright. This was something from God. The Bible said, the Lord said in Samuel, those that honor me, I will honor. Those that despise me will be lightly esteemed. Friend, when God talks to us about his plan and how good it is, we ought to respond correctly. Is that right? If you hear about how good God is and about how wonderful his plan is and you sit there and go, whatever, I've heard it, I've seen it, you're in trouble. You're in serious trouble and may not even realize it because you are despising the goodness of God. Because if you believed it, (laughs) I said if you believed it. 
when God talks to you and says, I've been thinking about you, boy. I've been thinking about you, girl. I've been thinking about you. I've had you on my mind. And I've got in mind for you a plan that exceeds everything you ever asked or ever thought to ask. I got a plan that will make you more successful than you ever imagined. That will increase you. That will make you whole of anything that's ever been wrong with you. Hallelujah. I got a plan. Tell me how you should respond. How should you respond? You, You should say... Glory to God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But if you sit there and you go, well, y'all are awfully excited and hyper. These Pentecostals make me nervous. I've got problems. I have to live in the real world. This hyped up religion is not going to pay my bills. That's what you think. (laughs) What we're talking about will pay your bills. It will pay your bills. And heal your body. And fix your marriage. Yeah. Yeah. It will. Yes, it will. Glory to God. But if you sit there and you go, yeah, but you just don't know what I've been through. We've already heard that. Didn't we just hear that just a few minutes ago? What is that? I'm the only one like this. You don't know my case. I know what you're talking about might work for a lot of people, but I'm different. Actually, you're not. (laughs) The Bible said the same afflictions are being accomplished in our brethren all over the world. And there is no temptation, trial, or test taken you, but such as is common, common to man. So what you're going through is absolutely common. The only thing serious about it is the unbelief. That makes it a problem. Don't despise what God gives you. Nobody starts off in the full measure. You don't start off at the top. You don't start off in the full measure of the anointing or the call or the full measure of the blessing. You get to enjoy the trip. It's part of your development. (laughs) Right? Did you know that? It is. Isaiah 55 and 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man, what? Forsake his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. You know, a lot of people that have been thinking wrong stuff, they need to realize they've gotten away from the Lord. They need to get back to him. Return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him. 
And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't he good? Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, if that's true, how can we embrace them? We can embrace them by faith. Even though I don't have it in my head, I can say, I believe it is amazingly good. I believe it is exceeding abundantly above what I'm able to think right now or ask. I believe God is good, 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 and he's better than that. And he's even better than that, and he's better than that, and his plan for me is absolutely amazing. It's wonderful, it's great, I have so much to live for and to look forward to. And if your head says, what, what, what? Say, you'll find out, just, just watch and see. You'll find, I can believe beyond what I can think. And the power that is at work in me, oh, can you see this? That's all God needs. That's faith. And it's faith that gives hope. That faith and that hope and the power of the Holy Ghost that's working in me, that's all God needs. That's all He needs. Out of me and you to bring it to pass. Glory to God. People have despised what God called them to do. People have despised the day of small beginnings. Are you listening to me? They've despised what the Lord gave them. I know the first time I was serving with Brother Kenneth Hagin at his ministry in the healing school. I'm just, I'm arranging books. I'm setting up projectors. I'm greeting people and shaking hands. I'm praying with people sometime to get saved. I'm not preaching. And he asked me to preach in his place the next day. I about fell off my chair. I thought... And this is healing school. And people have serious needs here. I thought, they don't, they don't need me blundering around. I don't know if I can even go 30 minutes. Uh, I mean, I was no preacher. And it really troubled me. At first, I wanted to tell them, I can't do it. You don't understand. I, I'm not up for this. And the Lord said, you better ask me. I thought, well, it sounds like there's no need to ask <laughs> Yes, sir, I understand. And I literally crawled in our little closet to pray and put my face in the carpet and I'm pouring out my heart. And I thought, God, what can I do? I, I mean, Brother Hagin's been walking with you for all these years and he's had visions of the head of the church and he's got, a, you put your finger in the palm of each one of his hands and, and tomorrow it's going to be me. <laughs> but Lord, I, what? And I mean, I blubbered and I carried on and, and finally I ran out of gas and he was able to get something through to me. You know, sometimes till we run out, he can't get through to us. We're too loud. We're too noisy. We're too, and I'm laying there spent (laughs) and the Lord spoke to my heart. I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but he spoke to my heart. He said, son, do you remember the little boy's lunch? Five loaves, two fishes. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, uh, you feel like you don't have much. And you're comparing yourself to somebody that's walked with me for decades. And 
exercised all these years in revelation and truth and I've ministered it. And compared to him, you don't have all the experience and you don't have all the revelation. He said, but I can take a little and do a lot with it. <laughs> can he now? Can he now? <laughs> he said, you remember what I did with those little fish and those little loaves? I said, yes, sir. He said, you feel like you've got two sardines and a cracker. <laughs> I thought, yeah, maybe like one sardine in it. <laughs> he said, don't compare yourself. Be thankful for what I have given you. Hold it up to me. What did Jesus do before that miracle broke forth? Anybody remember? He held it up. Why would you hold up this little handful? Like you're going to feed somebody today. By faith. He must have had a vision. I said he must have had a vision. He must have had a vision of every need being met. Come on. He must have had a vision of the plan of God and success. He held up that little bit. Oh, Father, we thank you for this bountiful provision today. <laughs> and as you begin to break it and hand it, and they broke it and hand it, God multiplied it supernaturally and didn't just meet the need. He exceeded the need. It was above and beyond, wasn't it? That's just how he is. That's who he is. That's what he is. He said, son, don't despise what I've given you. It's what you have. It's what I've given you. Oh, friends, are you listening tonight? People are too much despising what they have. And it's a huge problem because when you do that, you're being unthankful and you're not esteeming God and you're cutting off your grace. So I said, oh, yes, sir, I see it. I see it. So I did the best I knew. And I stood up the next day, fear and trembling. I held up my little sardine and cracker. Let's all stand and give thanks to God. Lord, we thank you for this bountiful provision. My head says you'll be done in five minutes and you won't know what. I said, shut up, shut up, shut up. Lord, we thank you for this bountiful provision. (laughs) And I began to share and the Lord brought to my remembrance scriptures. He brought to my remembrance illustrations. He brought to my remembrance and I looked down and I had gone an hour. And people are sitting there spiritually going, hmm. I thought, this is a miracle, and they don't know it. (laughs) You hear the term overachiever. You hear the term perfectionist, don't you? Many in our circles like to say, I'm a perfectionist. This is a problem. So many, if they can't have it a certain way, they're not going to do it. If their church is not a certain size, what's the point? Does this sound familiar to you? If they are not seeing certain results, if they don't have a certain caliber of property or certain level of finances they just can't work like that because they have high standards and they are overachievers have been all their life and they're a perfectionist 
And they can't settle for this. And what they don't realize is that is all about them. Did you hear me? That's all about them. It's a recipe for failure. God has a plan. Help me out. God has an amazing, exceeding, abundantly, glorious, good, success, prosperity, wholeness plan. But it's not for your glory. It is not to promote you. It is not for your glory. Listen to these scriptures. You know them, but let's remind ourselves. Isaiah 42, 8. Isaiah 42, 8. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. That includes you. Isaiah 48 and 11, 48 and 11, he said, for my own sake, even my own sake, I will do it. How should my name be polluted? I will not give my glory unto another. I won't do it. I won't do it. Friends, self-promotion will cause you to forfeit the plan of God. Because his plan is not to promote you. It's not to put you up. It's not to put you forward. It is not for your glory. And that's why people get upset and they quit when the church is not big enough and the money is not tall enough. Are you listening? They get embarrassed. I said they get embarrassed. Embarrassment is an indicator of pride. You get embarrassed. And part of it's a trick of the devil too. He's just a lying, scheming, sorry rascal. He'll come and you're not doing anything. You're not making any difference. They don't care if you're here or not. You need to jump up when you hear such stuff and go, liar, liar, liar. Somebody needs to grab hold of this with both hands tonight because the devil's been kicking you around and you've been letting him with such stuff. We don't all have the same call. We don't all have the same charge. We're not all given the same talents or graces. We're not all given the same opportunities. Am I telling you the truth or not? We're not. We are not equally divvied opportunities and graces. Remember the parable Jesus talked about? He gave to one man five talents. He gave to another man two. Gave to another one one. Did he expect them all to produce the same numerically? Amount wise. God does not reward size. God does not reward notoriety or popularity. God rewards, does anybody know? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. And the man that was faithful with his two and produced another two, 
So he's only got four compared to this guy's ten. Heard exactly the same words. For I mean verbatim. Exactly the same words. As the man that had the ten. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Didn't he hear it? Friend we must not. Despise. What God has put under our hand. What he's put in our hand. We must not compare ourselves with other people and decide that we are less and that we're accomplishing less and that we have less and that we're too small and get to the point where you're negative and you're not joyful. What the purpose of it is, the enemy, he doesn't just cause you to be unthankful right now. He wants to get you to the place where you don't expect any better. And you feel sorry for yourself and your lot in life. The devil is such a sorry rascal and he'll lie to you. It's not fair. It's not fair. You have to do this and you have to be here and you have to work with this and look at them and look at them. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know what their life is like. Besides that, it's none of your business. What their life is like. What you ought to be doing is shouting if you only got one sardine and one cracker. Come on, help me out. You ought to be shouting, going, glory to God, I got a sardine. And it's my sardine that the Lord gave me. And I magnify my office and my sardine. Because listen, how you handle your sardine. Is entirely directing if you get another one or not. Is it true or not? God is huge on faithfulness. And if you've been faithful in the small and in the little, you qualify for more. If you're griping and belly aching and despising this, you don't qualify for anything else. You're not going to get anything else. Friends, you don't be like Jacob. This is going wrong. And that's gone wrong. And that fell through. And what's the point? Friend, that should never come out of your mouth. Never. Don't let it in your head, much less come out of your mouth. Because all the while, he is living in torment and not enjoying life. Tell me what was going on. Tell me what was going on. God had a plan that was in the works. Is it true? And could you believe that? Even if it seems like what you're doing is so small or it's so ineffectual or nobody cares, don't believe it. You don't know. I know this. His word will not return void. So you're talking about you. You're thinking about you and you're underestimating the power of his word. You don't know. You might never see some things in your lifetime, but after you're gone, if the Lord tears is coming, there might be a seed you sowed 40 years ago. Just take off and blossom and change a country. You don't know. You don't know from where you sit right now, but what you can do is believe it. You can believe it and say, I refuse to be discouraged. I refuse. I refuse to be unthankful. I refuse to feel sorry for myself. I got nothing to feel sorry about. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the amazing tents 
of wickedness. Why? Because anything done for the Lord and done with the right heart and done in faith is eternal. It lasts forever. Paul said, I magnify my office. I don't think I'll ever forget. Nearly 30 years ago, I was at a place and I was ministering in this place and, and I came out and this young guy was standing there just grinning from ear to ear. He said, hi, Brother Keith. I said, hi. He said, you been to the restroom? <laughs> it's kind of a strange question. I thought, yeah, I just washed my hands. He, he said, was it okay? I said, it was sparkling. He said, that's my job. <laughs> I said, it's excellent, brother. He beamed. He said, that's my ministry. He was magnifying his office. And how many know if he really did that unto the Lord from his heart, it's worth more than billions of dollars worth of stuff that was televised? Did you hear me? That didn't mean a thing and it was anti-God and unbelief. Just the thing that's making the most hoopla and smoke is not what matters. Because the Bible tells us soon and very soon there's a day coming and everybody's works is going to pass through the fire. Is that right? And there's going to be some things that look like a great big pile of stuff and it's going up in smoke. It's not going to mean a thing because it wasn't done in faith. It wasn't done for the Lord. And everybody thought it was big and amazing and everybody knew him. And no, and there's going to be people that nobody knew. Do you believe it? That nobody, I mean, the first are going to be last. Last are going to be first. Didn't he say it? I mean, there's going to be people that nobody knew and they just did it with a right heart. And they didn't care if anybody saw it or knew it. It didn't matter to them. They were just glad to be there and just glad to be serving the Lord. And they just thanking God night and day and they magnified what they had available to them and they gave thanks for it and they worked faithfully. And their reward will be sure and eternal. Stand on your feet, everybody. Faithfulness does not distinguish between what's big or little. Faithfulness does not distinguish or differ between what's known or unknown. Faithfulness is true to its charge. Close your eyes. Let me lead you in a prayer. Everybody say, Father God. Forgive me for ever letting these thoughts, these feelings get in me or these words come out of my mouth. You've been too good to me. You've done too much for me for me to respond in such a way. I cast it behind me. I say it's wrong. I repent for it. Ask you to forgive me of all of it and cleanse me from all of it. And I lift up my head and I lift up my eyes and I set them on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And I say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Blessed. I'm blessed of the Lord who is increasing me more 
and more. Me and my children. My future is bright. Very bright. You have laid out before me. An excellent way. A glorious plan. And I will rejoice. In it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Come on, praise Him, some saints. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.